Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today... A new startup that is working on making steaks and chicken breasts out of thin air. Plus, the first woman has seemingly been cured of HIV. And Disney is developing a new round of residential communities around the U.S. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Conjuring food out of thin air is no longer just the stuff of fantasy, so long as your definition of conjuring is cultivating microbes with carbon dioxide, which is, very simplistically, what the startup Air Protein is doing. They want to create an alternative protein that looks and tastes like the meat that so many of us love without the impact on animals and the environment. Here's how it works, quoting Wired. The process is similar to how yogurt is made, relying on live cultures. Air protein cultivates hydrogenotrophic microbes inside fermentation tanks and feeds them a mix of carbon dioxide, oxygen, minerals, water, and nitrogen. The end result is a protein-rich flour which has a similar amino acid profile as meat protein. But how does the company turn that into a tender chicken breast? We just add the culinary techniques that give you the different textures you're looking for, says physicist, CEO, and founder of Air Protein, Lisa Dyson, using a combination of pressure, temperature, and cooking techniques, end quote. And quoting from Fortune, Dyson said Air Protein's method is actually carbon negative, from cradle to plate, takes less time than the two years required for a cow to grow to eatable size, and requires much less land usage than farms that produce cattle and plants for meat alternatives. You look at the water utilization, she says. If you compare it to soy, it's going to take a soy farm the size of Texas to give you the same amount of proteins you get from an air protein farm the size of Walt Disney World. She also notes that the food industry is one of the largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions, with one cow having the same carbon footprint as a car. End quote. And that's true. The agricultural industry is second only to transportation in its outsized production of greenhouse gas emissions. As Inc.com put it, quote, We humans are literally eating ourselves into climate chaos as we run out of farmable land, end quote. Dyson and John Reed, a materials scientist who co-founded Coverti with Dyson, the company where air protein was originally born, knew those stats, and the two of them wanted to try to make a difference. And how they came up with their making agricultural products out of thin air idea is actually pretty cool. Quoting again from Wired, The pair hadn't quite settled on how to do this until one day they came across some forgotten NASA research from the 1960s. One document from 1967 explored ways of feeding astronauts on a long space journey where there would be few resources. One of the ideas was to combine microbes with the carbon dioxide astronauts were breathing out in order to make food. 
Since the space program never made it to Mars, the idea had never been fully fleshed out. Dyson and Reed decided to take the concept and run with it. We picked up where they left off, says Dyson. In 2008, this decades-old concept inspired Dyson and Reed to found Qverdi, which uses recycled carbon dioxide to make products like microbe-based alternatives to palm oil and citrus oil, end quote. And then, in 2019, they spun that off into air protein, and the rest is... Well, the history is still being made. Air Protein will need to continue working on scaling up and on trying to convince the public that this lab-based meat is appealing. First, Dyson and peers in the field prefer the term cultivated meat over lab-based meat. Dr. Uma Vledi, founder and CEO of Upside Foods, which feeds nutrients to animal stem cells to create chicken, meatballs, and duck, told Fortune, quote, Ultimately, the product is at the stage where it's being grown in production facilities like breweries. And nearly every food that we eat that comes off the shelf is going to go through some food company's lab for testing. So we just don't think the lab-based meat nomenclature is right, end quote. Fair enough. And, you know, we all know that branding like that can go a long way towards convincing people to buy something or not. Used to be low carb and then low fat and then low sugar and then organic and gluten free, followed by plant based and the latest one immune boosting. So, hey, if they think cultivated meat will play better than lab-based, go for it. Dyson, for her part, insists that consumers care more about the texture and flavor than how something was made, which I think is true for foods that people are used to. I mean, that's part of why we're in a crisis with real meat, because even when people know the horrors of factory farming, they still often choose to eat it. I'd say that as someone who eats meat regularly. But when we're talking about a new food, people tend to be a bit more wary and actually critically question or get weirded out by the creation process. And I think that especially goes for meat. You know, I think the idea of lab-created meat, sorry, cultivated meat, makes people more squeamish than more processed foods, or maybe even more so than a genetically altered fruit. Getting people to believe that meat created in a lab is anywhere near as tasty or nutritious as meat that came directly from an animal, no matter how inaccurate any part of that presumption may be in practice, is always going to be an uphill battle. Or at least it seems that way to me, having grown up in hunting and barbecue territory in Texas, but enough investors seem to think the tides may be changing on alternative proteins. Air Protein raised over $30 million in funding at the start of last year. And while Air Protein, with a patent filed in 2007 and proof of concept launched three years ago, is officially the first carbon-negative protein source, Dyson hopes they're not the last. She told Inc. last year, quote, I see air protein as impacting the future of meat by creating a whole new way of making meat. I hope it inspires the innovators of tomorrow by letting them know that we can solve the problems of climate change and deforestation. We just need to focus our energies on coming up with those solutions. End quote. A third person seems to have been cured of HIV using a new method. Not only was a new method employed, but the person in question is a woman of mixed race, which will provide scientists with more data for potentially curing people across sexes and races. The New York Times points out that women do actually account for more than half of HIV cases around the world, but unfortunately only make up 11% of participants in cure trials. 
This patient in particular was past middle age and diagnosed with HIV in 2013. She was subsequently diagnosed with leukemia in 2017. Quoting the New York Times, In August of that year, she received cord blood from a donor with the mutation that blocks HIV's entry into cells. But it can take about six weeks for cord blood cells to engraft, so she was also given partially matched blood stem cells from a first-degree relative. The half-matched haplocells from her relative propped up her immune system until the cord blood cells became dominant, making the transplant much less dangerous, said Dr. Marshall Glesby, an infectious disease expert at Will Cornell Medicine of New York and part of the research team. The transplant from the relative is like a bridge that got her through to the point of the cord blood being able to take over, he said, end quote. Now, over four years later, she is off antiretroviral treatment and remains both in remission and free from the virus. From NBC News, quote, This therapeutic process is meant to replace an individual's immune system with another person's, treating their cancer while also curing their HIV. First, physicians must destroy the original immune system with chemotherapy and sometimes irradiation. The hope is that this also destroys as many immune cells as possible that still quietly harbor HIV despite effective antiretroviral treatment. Then, provided the transplanted HIV-resistant stem cells and graft properly, new viral copies that might emerge from any remaining infected cells will be unable to infect any other immune cells. It's unethical, experts stress, to attempt an HIV cure through a stem cell transplant, a toxic, sometimes fatal procedure, in anyone who does not have a potentially fatal cancer or other condition that already makes them a candidate for such risky treatment. Dr. Deborah Perso, a pediatric infectious disease specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, said that while we're very excited about the new case of possible HIV cure, the stem cell treatment method is still not a feasible strategy for all but a handful of the millions of people living with HIV, end quote. But it could help inform other methods for cures. The big difference in this case was the inclusion of that cord blood, which is something there are still a lot of questions around, but in this particular application, it's known to reduce the risk of a gnarly disease called the graft-versus-host disease. The two men who were previously cured of HIV with bone marrow transplants did not receive cord blood, and both experienced graft-versus-host disease, which caused severe reactions. Previous research believed it might have been the graft-versus-host disease that actually led to the cure, but with this most recent patient not experiencing it, that idea has fortunately been dispelled. And while most of the headlines are saying that the woman has been cured of HIV, Dr. Yvonne J. Bryson, a pediatric infectious disease specialist at UCLA's School of Medicine, says it's better to be cautious and say the virus is in remission, particularly because there have been cases in which HIV rebounded in a patient previously thought cured after a couple of years. But for now, this woman, being called the New York patient, is healthy, asymptomatic, and according to Dr. Bryson, just enjoying her life. Disney is officially getting into the city planning markets again. This afternoon, they announced Story Living by Disney, a series of neighborhoods across the U.S. that will, quote, be infused with the company's special brand of magic. 
The first and so far only announced community will be in Rancho Mirage, California. Quoting Bloomberg, The Rancho Mirage project, dubbed Cotino, is being built in collaboration with Arizona-based DMB Development, which specializes in planned communities. The 24-acre project will include at least one section for residents 55 years or older, and home buyers will have the option to choose from estates, single-family homes, and condominiums. Disney employees, trained in the company's legendary guest service, will operate the community association, the company said. Disney will also provide access to curated experiences, including wellness programming, entertainment, philanthropic endeavors, and seminars. Disney Imagineers, its term for theme park designers, will help develop the communities, although it's not clear how much of Disney's branding will be present. End quote. Catino will also be centered around a large body of water, which Disney describes as being kept clear and turquoise using their Crystal Lagoons technology deployed at its resorts. Members of the public will be able to visit the community by purchasing day passes because everyone knows nothing says peaceful luxury like a regular stream of tourists ogling at your Disney-branded street signs. As The Verge points out, quote, It's not the first time Disney has explored residential developments like this. In 1996, it opened the gates of Celebration Florida, a master-planned community near Walt Disney World Resort, and in 2011 opened its luxury Golden Oak Resort in the same state, where prices for homes originally started at $1.6 million. Not all of these communities have been successes, though. Celebration Florida, for example, suffers all sorts of mundane and unmagical problems like leaks and mold. Disney itself is not responsible for maintenance. With this latest venture, Disney apparently wants to revisit its residential dreams while focusing on the vague and eternally sunny concept of storytelling. As the company's chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products, Josh DeMauro, puts it in a blog post, its new communities are all about expanding storytelling to story living, hence the name. And what exactly that means in practice isn't clear. Is story living just the company's way of saying you'll have a really nice life if you pay us a lot of money? End quote. So, on the one hand, as many people are pointing out, this and previous forays into planned communities are kind of in line with Walt Disney's original vision for Epcot. As Harvard professor of urban design Alex Krieger explains, shortly before Disney's death, he announced his intentions to build a 27,400-acre town in central Florida that would be a living blueprint for the future, the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow, or Epcot. It was meant to be an entire town, not just a part of the park. And it would be an innovation hub, a vacation land for visitors, and utilize both an intricate underground road and extensive above-ground monorail to banish cars from sight. Krieger overall describes it as a radical vision. So maybe these new story-living communities will be a new execution of Walt's vision. But on the other hand, Disney, since Walt's death, has become such a giant media conglomerate that watching the promo video honestly feels a little eerie, like it's another corporation trying to own every single aspect of a person's life. And in the video, there is no visual or verbal hint that these communities will be anything like a Disney park or resort. There's no hints of the 24-7 cosplaying that everyone tweeting about Disney adults today is imagining. It really just seems to be a corporation buying up land and making some form of corporate utopia. 
Walt Disney's plans for building a town in the mid-60s came right as many other rich people were engaging in similar aspirations. Successful entrepreneurs who turned to creating towns in what became known as the New Towns Movement are how we now have Irvine, California, Columbia, Maryland, and the Woodlands, Texas. We're seeing a little bit of similar movement bubbling up today. I've mentioned before Mark Laurie's plans for Telosa and Jeffrey Burns, CEO of Blockchains, who wants to build a smart city. And then there's just the pandemic-exacerbated pattern of well-off urbanites ditching the city for small towns. It was a similar case of urban living going out of vogue with the upper middle class and above that led to the new towns movement back in the 1960s. But Disney isn't one rich dude with a vision anymore. It's one of the biggest companies in the world. So it's a little harder to see the passion and motivation in this particular new endeavor. But I guess we'll just have to see how it develops. You know, I can't believe it took me a few days to see this news, but the DeLorean is officially entering production again. And this time, where it's going, it won't need gas. Sadly, that doesn't mean that it will come equipped with a Mr. Fusion powering the flux capacitor with household waste, but rather that the new announced line of DeLoreans will be electric. That is, if we can really believe it's happening. Stephen Wynn, the former British engineer who acquired the rights to the DeLorean Motor Company in the mid-90s, has been trying to relaunch the DeLorean DMC, made famous by Back to the Future, ever since then, encountering a number of regulatory issues along the way, so fans aren't holding their breath. And there's not much information yet. The DeLorean Motor Company just posted a teaser ad on Twitter on Sunday that basically just shows a silhouette of the famous gullwing doors and says that the car will premiere in 2022. So now we wait. Despite how skeptical I am, I have to say that if it actually happens and it's anything close to a decent car that I could in any way conceivably put money down, I will do whatever it takes to own this car. I mean, I have always wanted a DeLorean, and to have one that's new instead of falling apart and electric? Yeah, sign me up. And speaking of series that I would rewatch literally any time at the drop of a hat, two of the stars from Downton Abbey have teamed up to form a band. Michelle Dockery, who plays Lady Mary, and the fittingly named with that last story, Michael Fox, who plays the footman Andrew starting in season 5, are putting out their first EP in May under the band name Michael and Michelle. They've got one single out so far called Calming Storm, with sort of slow folk rock vibes, aka exactly my kind of music. Lending some extra credibility to the folk rock act, they've enlisted Chris Moss from Mumford & Sons as their percussionist. Fox and Dockery have apparently been making music together on the set of Downton Abbey for the last six years, which is much longer than I would have thought, and I always think it's kind of cool to find out which actors on a set become close friends and collaborators, especially when their characters rarely ever share scenes. Michael and Michelle's EP, The Watching Silence, will be released on May 13th from Decca Records. And of course, if you want a little Downton fix before then, the full-length trailer for the upcoming movie, Downton Abbey, A New Era, dropped yesterday. Link in the show notes in case you missed it. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Mother's Day is almost here. 
and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.